It is true. Tonight, we continue our Conversations with Jesus series. And uh, our conversation is, a, is an important one this evening. Um, you might have noticed I didn't give the full title, Conversations with Jesus on the Journey to the Cross, because our conversation tonight actually finds us on the cross with Jesus and with two criminals on his left and on his right. Our teaching text comes from Luke chapter 23, and um, yeah, let me just read that. Hear the word of the Lord. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray together. Lord, would you come into this space? Would you come into the spaces in which we find ourselves hearing these words? Would you speak to us? Would you fill us with peace? Stand alongside of us and encourage us wherever we find ourselves. In your name, amen, amen. Well, I'd like to begin tonight with a question. And the question is this. Throughout our lives here on earth, what is a human's greatest need? As we experience life, you know, whatever it might be, life right now feels a little bit different, but even as we go through this experience, 2020, 2021, what is our greatest need? It's a question that has been asked for a long, long time, centuries, and has been answered in many different ways. Is it wealth? Is it security? Is it romance? Is that what life is about, finding a partner? Maslow's hierarchy of needs has been a popular and often cited answer to this question. You can see that right here. Maslow believed that we have physiological needs, the bottom rung there, food, water, warmth, rest. We need to know that we are safe. We need to have good, lasting relationships. But we also have a desire for personal prestige and accomplishment. And there's self-actualization. We want to do something that matters. And we want to achieve something 
great. And while these are true, and they have a lot of merit, as time has passed, and researchers have continued to learn about the human experience, what they found is that really humans have two main desires above all else. First, to feel loved. Second, to feel known. Others have described it this way. We need to feel needed. I think that's a great way to put it. We want to feel like we belong. We want to feel as though others love us and accept us. But we also want them to know the deepest parts of us, flaws and all. One researcher says the need to be needed is one of our fundamental desires. We want to feel significant in the eyes of others, even if it is just one other person. We want to feel like we play an important role, whether in an organization, family, or the life of another. Holocaust survivor and author and really renowned psychotherapist Viktor Frankl wrote an amazing book, which I highly recommend. It's short, so I can easily recommend it. It won't take much of your time. It's called Man's Search for Meaning. In it, Frankel writes intricately about his own experience and the experience of those around him as they experience Nazi Germany being separated and sent to concentration camps in the 1930s and the 1940s. And interestingly, he writes not only of despair, but the intrinsic nature of hope. Perseverance beyond any reasonable odds. And on one occurrence, while he was forced to walk in the Polish winter to dig water pipes, he found himself reflecting upon love. Specifically, the love for his wife, of whom he had no idea if she was even still alive. See, she had been separated already and sent to a separate camp. And as the sun shone down, he writes about how he looked up into the sun and felt the warmth of the relationship and the love of his wife. He writes of this moment, the salvation of man is through love and in love. I understand how a man who has nothing left in this world still may know bliss, be it only for a brief moment in the contemplation of his beloved. In a position of utter desolation, when a man cannot express himself in positive action, when his only achievement may consist in enduring his sufferings in the right way, an honorable way, in such a position, man can, through loving contemplation of the image he carries of his beloved, achieve fulfillment. He writes, for the first time in my life, I was able to understand the meaning of the words, the angels are lost in perpetual contemplation of infinite glory. 
In his moment of despair, Viktor Frankl reflects on his own awareness of being known and of being loved and of being needed by the one in whom he felt these needs more than any other, his wife. And while Viktor Frankl reflects on the suffering in, in Auschwitz, here in our, in our reading in Luke, we observe another form of suffering and another form of torture, a Roman crucifixion. See, ancient scholars observe crucifixion as about a cruel and barbaric as any deterrent dreamed up by humankind. The idea was to prolong the death and agony for all to see and be warned. And this is our setting of our conversation. This is where we reflect this evening. See, the state and setting of Jesus as he gives these words speaks to the importance of the moment. Jesus is hanging on a cross between two criminals, one on his right, one on his left. He's surrounded by a crowd, jeering insults, and rulers, and soldiers. And yet, as the author writes it, this conversation is the only thing happening in this moment. It feels like almost a stop in the time. The Gospel of Luke is clear that this is the focus. Jesus' words. It's as if the author is saying, listen, listen closely. This is important. As the criminal is jeering Jesus and saying, save us, and by the way, save yourself too. The other criminal says, stop it. Stop it. Don't you know? We deserve this. He doesn't. And I imagine in agony he tries to look at Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answers, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. As, as Viktor Frankl suffered, he himself was drawn into reflection of love. While in extreme distress, it seems that this second criminal has a very similar response. Not only does he come to the defense of Jesus at the behest of this first criminal, but he also asks for remembrance, to be remembered. See, I can't imagine the mental state of Jesus, but also these two criminals. And it's written in such a way that there is no distraction from their state and of this conversation. But when this criminal speaks, the second criminal, when he says, remember me, when you come, 
One scholar writes, he moves past confession of his sins and his belief in Jesus to request that Jesus remember him. He is the only person to address Jesus simply by his name. The intimacy, the setting, and the sincerity are poignant. And it's true when you go back and you read this portion the second criminal is the only person to say, Jesus. And in this moment of despair and of torture, he finds love. In the heaviness of this moment, Jesus extends himself. And Jesus remains true to his own vision and his own rule of life. Jesus understands that God is still his father and love for his enemies is still his practice. But we also must move beyond the setting to the crowd because this entire thing is happening in a very, very, very public space. See, the public nature of the words of Jesus serve as an invitation to all. See, crucifixions were designed to draw crowds. The Roman Empire used crucifixion not only as punishment, but as an empirical warning to all who would stand against their empire in one fashion or another. It served to kill criminals and deter others. So this crucifixion is not just about punishment, but it's a message. And we can't know for certain if those gathered around these crosses heard this conversation. But the author does make a note to mention the people there and the people gathered. And because there is a note of what was said, we can assume that some heard it or it wouldn't have been there. And what's amazing is this conversation between these two men truly invites everyone into the words of Jesus. Though Jesus is speaking to one man who has accepted him as Savior, Jesus is also speaking to us. His invitation to join in this eternal paradise is for everyone who hears, everyone who reads, and everyone who accepts Jesus in the same way. One theologian writes, in each today in which Jesus was encountered during his ministry, the encounter brought salvation. Even now, in the hour of his own death, Jesus brings salvation. Though not yet enthroned as king, he already extends royal clemency to those who appeal to him. So, Jesus extends this opportunity of a paradise to this criminal who is dying next to him, but to the crowds surrounding him and to us as we read this in Luke and as we hear this now. All we must do is act just as the man next to Jesus on the cross. We have an invitation 
to God's family. He just asks for a response. So I want to do that a little bit. And I'd like to, to examine specifically the words that are spoken in this setting and to these people so that we too can respond. I just want to say it one more time. The criminal says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answers him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And there's something really cool that's happening in the language of this moment. See, when Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise, it really is momentous. First, there's the eagerness and the timing to which Jesus makes this promise. What does he say? Today. He's telling us that those who invite Jesus into their situation, there is no delay. There is only immediacy. Truly, today. Theologian Daryl Bach writes, Jesus does not speak of the unspecified future, only of the immediate present. The request is granted today. This love of Jesus and the grace that he extends that saves, he gives without postponement or prerequisition. This criminal had no prior relationship with Jesus until this moment. And he asks and Jesus gives. Today you will be with me. Second is this word Jesus uses, paradise. Scholars tell us that the specific word that is translated here occurs only twice more in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians and in Revelation chapter 2. And in Greek, this word actually borrows from Old Persian where it means an enclosed space. But the word also came into Hebrew. And in both Greek and Hebrew, the emphasis seems to be upon what grows in this designated space. Whether this be fruit trees, timber, or plantings. It was also used as the word for the Garden of Eden. This word paradise involves the wilderness becoming again like Eden, the Garden of the Lord. And in time, this becomes the reflection of the account in Genesis, a word of hope for reversal of those of us who were expelled from the garden. I mentioned the reference in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, listen to this, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So the use of this language in this moment is intentional, clearly. Because it is restoring God's original intentions again. From the beginning of time until this moment. The Garden of Eden was a place where we humans could dwell in relationship with God forever. 
with no separation, with no anxiety, with no fear or pain or regret. There was nothing but good things here with God. Yet, in Genesis, Adam and Eve allow evil to come and to pervert and twist their minds to believe that they, for some reason, deserve what God provides for themselves alone. They remove God from the equation. But here in this moment, Jesus is reintroducing us to paradise, to the garden. A place in which humanity and God dwell together in relationship is again a possibility for eternity. And within this framework of understanding this word paradise, clearly... Jesus will be expected to go immediately after death into paradise. But incredibly, this criminal who asks for mercy will be there too. Today. So, as I close tonight, I'd like us to return to the story of Viktor Frankl. And the band, you guys can come up. Frankel's feelings of longings and of being forced and of being longed for while digging pipes in a frozen tundra. They remind us again of our deepest desires to be loved and to feel known. And if you gain nothing else from these words tonight, this conversation between Jesus and this criminal teaches us that in Jesus, we are deeply known and we are deeply loved. There is no one else in the universe who knows us and loves us as deeply as Jesus. And further, this offer to join with Jesus in paradise, it still stands. For those who choose to respond and invite Jesus into whatever situation they find themselves, this offer to be with Jesus still stands. I also have one other thought that pertains to the here and the now. Because it's one thing to say, yes, I want that. But that's when I die. What about now? What about here? What about in this? But this invitation of Jesus to join with him in paradise is not just limited to death. It is an invitation into a paradise of here and of now. Even in the midst of what will forever be known as the 2020 experience, there is paradise here. There is peace here. There is joy. And ultimately, there is love and the ability to be known. Jesus tells the criminal that truly this day you will be with me. But earlier in the scriptures, in Matthew 28, Jesus tells his friends, Surely I am with you 
always to the end of the age. So what is Jesus saying to us? Instead, he is actually saying, truly you will be with me, but surely I am with you. So, I have three things. Followers of Christ, when you die, you will be with Christ. Second, followers of Christ, as you live, Christ is with you. And third, followers of Christ, you are loved and you are known. You are loved and you are known.